This is the week that we celebrate Christmas, and we as Christians don't just celebrate it the week of. We do more. It's, it's more than a season. It's more than a day. It's more than a holiday. It is, is a belief. It's a way of life. Because Jesus didn't come for a day and accomplish one thing and, and leave forever. He, he came to be with us and remains with us today. That's what we celebrate. That Christmas is just a commemoration. Help me. Commemoration of the start of that. I didn't write that down. I should have written it down. It would have rolled right off my head. But this is the fourth Sunday of Advent. It's a season of preparation. So we've started each message series as we, we look forward to returning or celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas and await his return. And I continue to approach the four weeks themes of hope, love, joy, and peace in the line of John 14, 27, where Jesus shares the words, I do not give to you as the world gives. And again, I, I hope you will commit to being here for all the messages and you've made it to the fourth one. Um, but this is all going to calm me down on Thursday evening as we look at it, this in its entirety and just briefly talk about as only God can give. What is it that we received that night, that special holy night? As we have a traditional Christmas Eve service with, with the hymns and the carols and the the, the lights around the, the sanctuary as we sing holy or silent night and other hymns and, and read scripture and the story of Jesus Christ. I love it. I love it. And again, if you've missed this or want to revisit any in this series, they're still available. But this is the fourth week of Advent. It's the week we celebrate peace. And the world may define peace as, as the opposite of war or, or perhaps something as simple as quiet tranquility. Peace. To the world, peace means quiet. But, but as we've seen with joy, love, and hope, the world gives peace only in light of circumstances, right? Joy is only when we're happy, the world says. Or love is only when it's returned. Or, or hope is only when it already exists. We may even believe that peace can't exist alongside conflict or uncertainty or, or noise. But the peace that God offers thrives in these times. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And listen to this. And the peace of God, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Other translations describe it as a peace that surpasses or goes beyond our understanding. It, it simply doesn't make sense why we feel a sense of peace at this moment or in this situation. And that's the gift of God-given peace. It's what differentiates God's peace from the peace that the world gives. This morning, we're going to take a look at some of the stories shared in the Bible, people who found peace that was provided in a time that one would think be contrary to peace. And as it is Christmas, I want to start with one of the lesser considered parts of the nativity, we talk about Mary, we talk about the wise machine, but what about Joseph, right? We know from the gospel that Joseph's lineage, and, and he was a carpenter, young one at that, but there's more to Joseph's story. He is an example of quiet peace and strength and of faith. So we're going to read from Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to begin at verse 18. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. 
Think about what that means, right? He found out she's pregnant, not by him. And he's faithful to the law. So the law says this must happen. So he's faithful to the law, but he didn't want to publicly disgrace her. So he, he just said quietly, he's just going to take care of this quietly. Verse 20 says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then it goes on to explain, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The prophet said, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. Now the subheading in the NIV version says Joseph accepts Jesus as his son, okay? But think about the amount of faith that it would take to have a dream about your soon-to-be wife who's pregnant, not by yours, and the Lord comes to you and says stuff. And, and, and I think what the reason that Joseph was able to do what they said is because that gave him a sense of peace, right? It wasn't just a, 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 a crazy wild story, but there was a sense of peace and awe as the angel spoke to him and gave him an explanation. With peace, he trusted in the words and instructions he was given. And the story doesn't end there. The story of Joseph's quiet faithfulness continues in Matthew 2, beginning at verse 13. It says, when they, which is the Magi, we, the, the Magi that had just come and, and the gifts and left, had gone. It said that an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph again in a dream. And it says, get up, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. All these pieces that have been talked about for a long time were now being fulfilled. Verse 16 says, when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, because they didn't return to him like they were instructed, said he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years older and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now, verse 17 said, this is again fulfilled a prophecy by Jeremiah. Now we skip ahead to verse 19, the return to Nazareth. It says, after Herod died, once again, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up. He took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said throughout the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. You see how these pieces are working together. Now, I was going to reference here to Mary's song, which was, was when the angels came and talked to Mary. And that was going to be the basis of our Bible study this morning. But we set that aside because I think something even greater happened. And we had a great dialogue about how to take care of some people in our community. So I'm not going to be able to do that. But I want to talk about the peace 
that Joseph received through these dreams, through the speaking of the Lord, and the peace that Mary received also in these, these crazy instructions, right? Peace passes understanding. But whether it's a time of trouble or something, something strange or out of the order or just a normal day, peace is a blessing. So many times when we pray in this room, it's not just for healing, but it's also for peace. And the wisdom of Proverbs repeatedly speak of the goodness of peace. Listen to these. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Now, this is talking about peace finding contentment. And contentment surely can be, provide peace. Another one, better a dry crust with peace and, and a quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. This talks about conflict and rivalry. Peace is the opposite of conflict and rivalry too. And it's saying it's better to have less of other things but have peace than to have these things that rob you of that. Discipline your children and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights you desire. And this talks about worry, Right? Discipline your children so they, you aren't worried about them because of the choices they, they're making. And peace is a blessing. Consider the Israelites, right? We know the story of the Israelites and this, this cycle. And if you're people caught up in a conflict of any or all kinds, you know, or you're subject to exile or oppression or slavery, this whole thing that the Israelites repeatedly went through, then peace, right, the absence of conflict and war and slavery and oppression, it's an unimaginable gift to experience peace in that kind. And maybe, you know, we think of those in, in war and conflict, but, but there's other kinds of, of war and conflict that, that resides within us and in our relationships with others. And in those moments, to have peace is a wonderful gift. Perhaps it's hard for you to imagine that kind of conflict, and that's great. So consider this. If you're a person that's plagued by sin or regret or resentment or condemnation, if you're a slave to your own vices and temptations and fears and anxieties, then peace is also an unimaginably wonderful gift for you too. Lord, give me peace from these things that rob me of my joy. Peace is more than a blessing, though it's a promise of God. God's promise of peace is echoed out throughout the, the prophets. Isaiah repeatedly, Lord, you established peace for us. All that we have accomplished you have done for us. Again, Isaiah 48, 18. If only you had paid attention to my commands, these words God speak, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. Can you imagine that river that just continually flows, giving you peace despite your circumstances? The prophet Ezekiel says, I will make a covenant of peace with them, God speaking here. It will be an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers and I will put my sanctuary among them forever. Sanctuary, this place of peace. The prophets Jeremiah, Isaiah go on. I will bring health and healing. I will heal my people and let them enjoy abundant peace and security. These are the desires of our hearts to find peace. We can deal with so much of the, the, the struggles of life if we just hang on to that peace. John 16, 33, Jesus' own words now in the New Testament says, I've told you these things so that in me you have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's not something the world can give you, that kind of peace, but the one that has overcome it can. 
And we know that God himself is peace. As we talk about the names of God, and it's been a while since we've done this, but Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. It was when Gideon was building his altar and, and he had gone through all this testing and, and God had provided for him. And he made this altar and it says, he said, the Lord is peace. And that's what he called it. And that, that altar stood for generations. Peace is something that not only God provides, but we are providing to others. Says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. Do you know you're a part of that story? Isaiah 52, 7 is telling this. How beautiful is the work you're doing, sharing the good news, proclaiming peace, who bring good tidings and proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. You are a messenger of peace. But we know the real message of peace. Isaiah, again, speaking about the birth of Jesus, for, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we have to talk about the Old Testament, the First Testament, and how Jesus is a fulfillment of these. Right? We, we talked about the sacrifice and the law and what we had to do in those days to get right or, or clean ourselves and repent. And it wasn't working because we were just in a cycle and we still are. I messed up. I'm going to ask for God's forgiveness. God has promised forgiveness. So I'm going to turn away from my ways and I'm going to get back out there and, and be good. And then we do it again. And God is faithful and he does it again. You know, at some point he said, I've got to send a savior. I've got to send a savior that takes care of this once and for all so my children can come to me directly and say, I'm sorry, God, I repent, forgive me. And that's what he provided. So again, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, as we're reading these, these things that Jesus came to fulfill, it was to fulfill these, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. And it gives us a story of like Acts, Acts 10.36. Says, so you know the message God sent to the people of Israel. We've just been talking about it. Announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. In Romans 5.1, it's, it's Paul. He says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. That's not a peace the world can give. It's not a peace the world can promise. In fact, if anything, the world's a little bit fickle. Right, It's the prophets Ezekiel and Micah who, who talk about people who get led astray by this false promise of peace or, or a superficial peace. Ezekiel 13, 10 through 12 says, because they lead my people astray saying peace when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who cover with whitewash it is going to fall. It says rain will come in torrents and I will send hailstones rolling down and violent winds will burst forth. When the wall collapses, will people not ask you, where is the whitewash you covered it with? Peace, love, hope. It's deep. It's not this superficial thing that we, we hope that things are good and, and that we're happy. Peace is a substantial barrier structured by God. But Jesus tells us, blessed are the peacemakers. Not just the peace, the ones who speak peace, but the peacemakers. For they will be called children of God. 
And Jesus often greeted people throughout all the gospels. Jesus would say, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Your faith has healed you, go in peace. He even instructs disciples, when you enter home, first say, peace to this home. What a blessing. James 2.16 warns, if any of you says, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, does nothing about the physical needs. What good is that? I think this is where the world gets hung up on this. The well wishes, the I'm with you in spirit, right? It's good to say, go in peace. Jesus did it. He said, tell people, peace to this house. Peace be with you. Go in peace. But if you say that and you have it within your means to do something more to meet a need, that's the other part. That was the exercise this morning that, that we didn't intend, but we took, Right? We got to not just pray for our neighbors, but we got to provide for them. Now, one thing, and I, I catch myself doing this too, you'll read through the Gospels and you'll come across a statement. Maybe it's a little contrary, maybe it doesn't, and, and you kind of gloss over it. And I do this too, I, I, I confess. You know, you get to it and like, you just don't give it the consideration or the time and study. But, but there are a couple that, that struggle, that cause a little, a little hiccup for people when they're talking about Jesus bringing peace. One is Luke twelve fifty one. He says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? He says, no, I tell you, division. Okay, that's odd. Or Matthew ten thirty four. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, what in the world is Jesus time? I must not understand. I'm gonna go back to the warm, fuzzy story of Jesus, right? But we really need to understand what that's telling us. And I found a really good commentary that I'm gonna share with you this morning on that verse. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. It says, up to this point in this gospel, there have been a good deal of comfort teaching as well as which challenges and many kindly actions Jesus in healing those oppressed in various ways. It says, the previous words would made it clear that all is not sweetness and light for those who serve him. And this is now made very clear, right? There's trouble coming. I, you know, you will face trouble. And Jesus says, I came. It's an incidental revelation of something of Christ's person. It's not an expression that would normally be used of anyone else's coming in the world. It says he had an existence prior to his earthly birth. We know that. And his coming earth was for a purpose. It is starting, it's startling to find him saying to his followers that must not think he came to bring peace to earth. An expression that is given emphasis by its repetition. Actually, the word peace is used very little in the gospel. But the general tenor of Jesus' teaching and actions is such as to lead us to expect him to bring, to be a bringer of peace. And there is, of course, a most important sense in which he came to bring peace. But the peace he came to bring is not simply the absence of strife, right? That's what the world gives, right? I'm just going to quell the issues. It says the peace he came to bring is not simply the absence of strife. It is a peace that means the overcoming of sin and the bringing in of the salvation of God. And that means war with evil and accordingly hostility against those who support the ways of wrong. So it is that Jesus says as far from peace, he comes to bring a sword. That is conflict. The sword is not, of course, meant literally, but is an obvious symbol of conflict. It is a stern reminder of the fact that to follow one whom his followers delight to call the prince of peace, right? We just read that from Isaiah. Sometimes means disunity and conflict. A sword divides, so does the truth which Jesus came to bring. It is more important than family unity, 
But of course, his coming presents a challenge to which people respond differently. And emotionally, for some who oppose Jesus, do so passionately. And do, as do those who become his followers. And where strong and opposed feelings are held, conflict is inevitable. Right? He came to bring peace, but he came to do it by way of a conflict. You must choose right or wrong. You must choose as the world sees and tells you to love and act. Or you can choose him. The sword is the dividing. Where will you fall? But if I were to sum it up, I would say that peace for me comes from well-placed trust. Now you can call that faith, you can call that hope, but it's well-placed trust. Isaiah says, you keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you, right? I trust you, God. That brings me peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. I read earlier from Philippians 4, 7. You know, about taking all your your cares and your struggles to him. Look at my page here. But listen to this. This is from the message. So again, it's not just a translation, it's a paraphrase. It says, Philippians 4, 7. I'm going to start with verse 6. It says, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Have you ever thought about that? That your, your praises and your quests are shaping your worries into prayers. You're taking those things you're worried about and putting into something that you're saying, God, act on this. God, I trust you. It says, before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. That's peace. God's wholeness coming down together. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry as the center of your life. That's why I love this paraphrase. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. He's saying, if there's something at the center of your life that's not Christ, that's your trouble. That's your trouble. Displace it. Don't cover it. Don't knock it right out of there. Displace it. Peace is such a wonderful blessing. It is. And in a lot of ways, if if we're truly letting God lead our lives and his will be done, we know we're going to go through trouble. And we've learned from the the talks about perseverance and faith. that A lot of this is a, a journey. And we shouldn't be so quick to pray against some of these things. Right? Of course we want deliverance. Of course we do. But our prayer is peace. Give me peace and confidence and faith as I face this, as you work through this with me and for me. And I want to close with this blessing and benedictions from the book of Numbers. And I love this. In the church I grew up in, Pastor Tom would always put his hands over up and he'd say, God instructed Moses. He God instructed Moses to share this over his people. So I want to do this for you now. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face upon you and give you peace now and forever. What a powerful blessing. That is what God wants for you as well. That's why he told Moses to tell Aaron and Aaron's friends and children to say this blessing. Bless you and keep you. Let his face and his graciousness be with you. Give you peace, his peace. Not as the world gives, but as he gives. Let's make that our prayer. Heavenly Father, as we 
come to this last week of Advent, which is just a powerful reminder of the true meaning of, of some of the things we hold so tightly to in this world. Love, joy, hope, peace. But Lord, it's just a reminder. And there are so many aspects of this life and this world where you've got something so much deeper, so much better in mind for us. The way we treat each other, the way we look at ourselves even. Lord, we have four weeks just to have a a reminder and it's never supposed to just be enough to get us through the year. It's Advent as we prepare for the coming of Jesus. Just as as Mary and Joseph prepared, just as, as the world didn't know what it needed until it had it, Lord, you say he's coming back. So we continue to be in this Advent season waiting for his return. Lord, we, we just have a glimpse of what we need, but you know, and we thank you for sending him. We thank you for what he's done for us. We thank you for the promise of his return and the Holy Spirit as his helper in, in the meantime. Lord, let us be the continuation of his ministry in the world in the meantime as we seek to love others, to tell them about the hope we have, to tell them what real joy feels like and what real peace means as we know that we are not separated by, from you anymore by our sin because there is a path to salvation and redemption if we simply accept it. Lord, we thank you for this. May we be changed for what we've heard this morning just as the world was changed all those years ago for what you did for us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.